Good morning. My name is Reina Bowman, and I work here in Stafford Calvary, uh, helping Calvary families in needs through emergency needs ministry. And today I'm going to read the Word of God from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. <clears throat> Women who follow Jesus. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirit and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Amen. Thank you, Reina. All right. Interesting, short, little passage of Scripture, right? So we are going through the Gospel of Luke, and what I think is fun is that as you do, when you preach this way, verse by verse, passage by passage, which I think most of the time is the best way, not always is the best way, uh, but uh, you get to do all of the parts, even a part that says Jesus was going around preaching, and there were these three women and many others who supported what he did, Right? Boom, the end. So let's talk about it because I think it's actually really intriguing and interesting and makes some cool points. But I want you to think about, for you, who was a woman in your life that made a big impact supporting you? Who's a woman in your life who supported you? Just kind of consider that. Maybe if you're right, right next to somebody, you could kind of whisper it to them. Whoever that might be in your life, be, be thinking about that, okay? All right. Might be a lot of moms or, you know, whatever, teacher probably, uh, somebody like that. Um, for me, it was definitely my mom, okay? So my mom, huge, huge support in my life, just cared for me in all of the sort of mundane and small moments of life, which I feel like in looking back uh, upon my life, it was the way she cared for me in the what seems like the small moments was actually the biggest deal to me and uh, the everyday stuff. And so she also, though, was super inspiring to me as a woman who was wanting to make an impact for the kingdom of God. She was a marriage family therapist, a social worker for a time in group homes. She, at our church, taught the, uh, a class on spiritual gifts and how then we can live out of our spiritual gifts. So she was uh, making an impact in our church and our community and such a big inspiration to me. Uh, my parents also were people that kind of like uh, really modeled for me what it looked like to be involved in church and to be faithfully giving and that kind of stuff too. That mattered to my family. There was also this other woman uh, named Diana McKeon who was part of our, our church. Uh, it's called Ocean Hills. It's a church I grew up in and first worked at also. And she was from like a, my, my parents were like, I don't know, average income kind of people. They worked in ministry, ran like nonprofits, stuff like that. But like my, this, this woman, Diana, was from the super wealthy family. And it was interesting to see the way that they, that her and her husband were very generous with their giving and with what they did with that. But also 
She uh, was someone that used her like experience in the business world to come and even to help some of us uh, as pastors and people to be able to learn how can we how can we communicate with each other better. She was really good at that, and I have these lessons in my head that even if they weren't weren't something she made up, I have them. And to always when I'm with people, to be open, honest, and direct with gentleness, dignity, and respect. And I have this thing in my head where it's like I always remember that, and it's something she taught me probably. 30 years ago. <laughs> and so just like grateful for these like certain people in our lives who have an impact of, of being able to support the mission of Jesus in our world today. And today we're talking specifically about women because this passage does. And so I'm even calling this sermon today gospel matrons. I don't know if you've heard of this concept of gospel patrons, but there are, they are people, and it's even a great ministry and website and videos uh, that you can check out, uh, gospel patrons, which really talks about kind of like there were patrons of the arts, right? Or there are those still, but people that are, let's say, supporting the arts with their money, people who have means, because artists can't make any money, right? And especially depending on what kind of art you do. (laughs) And so, like, in that way, they need patrons to support them to be able to do their thing. And in ministry, it's very, very similar, right? Where we need people to support and further the work of the ministry financially, since it doesn't necessarily make money on its own. So it requires these patrons, or what we would hear in this passage say, matrons, because it says there's these three women and many others who contributed out of what they had so that Jesus and the 12 could go around and do ministry from town to town. Whatever that needed to be paid for, they helped make that happen. And so I think it's cool when you think about gospel matrons and patrons that allow pastors like me and the other amazing people here on our staff or missionaries around the world, or people running incredible ministries and nonprofits that aren't directly connected to a church to be able to do that when they can't just bring in income otherwise. So a gospel matron is a woman who did that and does that, and today the story is about these ones. So I want you to think about how can you, as a woman or as a man, be able to contribute both of your time and your resources into furthering the mission of Jesus in the world. Because that's what this passage talks about. Uh, So what we learn, a couple things that we learn in here is one is that women play a critical role in the ministry of Jesus. And I wanna talk about that because this is very intriguing to me, this passage, and how it only mentions these women. And it comes right after another story about another woman. We'll kind, of, we'll kind of talk about that a little bit. But I want us to first understand how were women viewed in first century Jewish culture. Because the things that Jesus does here are radical when you understand what culture was like then. It might not sound that radical for women to be following Jesus around and contributing towards that in our, in our understanding. But when you look at something like this, these are uh, uh, some writings and some study that was done by an awesome guy, a Messianic Jewish scholar named Arnold Fruchtenbaum that I love to read. If you ever find any of his stuff, read it. But uh, this is how, this is a quote by some rabbis, okay? So, or, or how they thought. Women weren't punished 
after the golden calf incident in Exodus 32, which is where Moses is up on Mount Sinai, then the people make the golden calf and start bowing down to it, right? And then they're punished. Women weren't punished in that story because, quote, there is no wisdom in woman except with the distaff, which is the spinning yarn. That's the only wisdom women could have was creating yarn, was that the view of the time. I'm not, okay, just remember, I'm not saying that, they're saying that, okay? They're saying that. First century rabbis were saying that. Now, another uh, thought was that to teach a woman Torah was to teach her obscenity, all right? So, because for her to then speak of it would be wrong and all of that. So then some rabbis taught that women were greedy, eavesdroppers, slothful, and envious. Don't you feel just encouraged and built up today, ladies? Uh, and then Jewish men were like expressed thanks. Thank you, God, for not making me a woman. Uh, so you're like, well, yeah, and the culture you created for them, of course, I wouldn't want to be a woman in that culture either. But this was just sort of the prevailing thought of how women were treated in that time. And so for Jesus... Jesus was the only rabbi to have women traveling with him as disciples. Okay, other rabbis, other rabbis would actually even be supported by women financially, but they would never have women actually traveling with them as followers. Now, you also have to kind of make sure you understand the word disciple a little bit. It's not just the 12, right? You think of the 12 as the disciples, and yes, that's true, but there were more. There was the 70, then there were crowds beyond that as well that were following Jesus around, and many of those were women, okay? So, um, I, you know, we, we do know that Jesus had the, the 12 were men and were only men, but beyond that, there were many people, many women that were traveling along with them. So Jesus was changing things. Jesus was doing things differently than everybody else was in his day. And so he was really actually quite radical in the way that he was including women. Now, who are these women that are mentioned by name? So you see these three names, Mary, Joanna, Susanna, and then many others. Uh, so you've got Mary Magdalene, famous, famous Bible character, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, we, uh, a lot of people think Mary Magdalene was a prostitute or some sort of sinful woman, maybe even the woman in the stories where, where anointed Jesus, things like that. There's no reason for us to think of that as true, okay? There's no evidence of that necessarily. What we do know is that Mary Magdalene was from a small town, a small town called Magdala, right? And it's like on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, between Tiberias, big city, and between Capernaum, another small town that you might be more famous. And Magdala is there in the middle. And so she's from this small town, and we do know that it says she was... Uh, freed from being possessed by seven demons. So that can't be great, right? I mean, it's just like, that doesn't sound like everything's going well. So she did have some hard times because of that. We don't know what that looked like or how that played out in her life, but we do know she was freed of that by Jesus. Now, what's so cool is um, Mary was like with Jesus, following him, it says supporting him, right? but she also was there at the crucifixion. She was there at the crucifixion, and she was one of the people that helped prepare his body and anoint his body and prepare him to be buried. And then 
Mary Magdalene was likely the very first person to see Jesus after the resurrection. Incredible, right? So this woman who was supporting Jesus falling around after she'd been freed from this demon possession, she then is there at some of the most pivotal moments of all of history. She is there and part of it, first eyewitness of the resurrected Savior. That's what's going on with Mary Magdalene. Now, then you have Joanna. Joanna, wife of Cusa. All right, so Cusa says he's, uh, she or Cusa is Herod's business manager. Now, this is Herod, the son of Herod the Great. So Herod the Great, the one that built uh, most of a lot of the big things that you would see in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, Caesarea, uh, um, uh, Masada, like a lot of these things. He's, and then he's also the guy that killed all the babies after Jesus was born. So bad guy made some big impact, but bad guy, this is his son and his son, Herod, who is um, like probably one of the most wealthy people of the time, right? And then you think you've got this guy, Cusa, who is the manager of his entire household. And his wife, Joanna, is one of these people following Jesus around and contributing financially to the mission and work of Jesus and the 12. Like, wow, okay. So now we're starting to see that Jesus is not just reaching into the, the poor in the small towns, but he's also reaching into the wealthy and the influential, that someone like that, that's part of that world is there. So, okay, so then like likely, I, I mean, likely lives in Tiberius region, could live in other places, depending on who exactly these people are. But then this woman, Joanna, is also mentioned along with Mary Magdalene in Luke 24:10 as one of the first witnesses of the resurrection and who then goes and tells the disciples tells all the guys and the guys think it's nonsense and they, they don't believe them and they have to go see for themselves. But Mary and Joanna were the first to see the resurrected Jesus. Then you've got Susanna. Good old Susanna, right? Like part of all of the stories that you've heard about her, you're just like pretty inspired by the things that she did. If you say yes, you're a liar because we don't know anything, right? This is the only place she's mentioned. It's just like, that's it. Uh, and we, we see her name in this list. We don't know what her deal was. We don't know anything about her background. We don't know what she did afterwards. Isn't it interesting when that kind of thing happens in the Bible? I just am like, I want to know all that's going on. Who is this person? And why did Luke mention her by name, but we don't get anything else about her? But this is the only place she's mentioned. And then there's just the many others. Sometimes I feel like a many others, right? You know, you're like, <laughs> it's going to be like this person, this person, and then many others. And we're all part of that. And I think that should keep us humble at some level is that there's some people who are literally following Jesus and contributing to the mission and work of him financially. And there are many other. Like, may we, Lord, have the privilege to be a many other. I would love to be a many other in the story of God, uh, being a part of what he is doing. And so all these, these women and the, the many others, they contributed from their own resources to, to do this. 
Interestingly, uh, Luke, Luke is an interesting gospel when it comes to women. Daryl Bach is one of the foremost scholars on the gospel of Luke in the world. Uh, also is a friend of David Mitchell in seminary, uh, which I think is cool. Um, but uh, his, his commentary is by far in my opinion, uh, my favorite one. And um, so just a great, great scholar. But he talks specifically about, I learned this from him, that, that Luke has like 16 stories about women doing like important things within the, story, within the gospel of Luke. And 11 of those 16 stories aren't found in the other gospels. And so it's just interesting somehow this emphasis of, of pointing out the things that women did in this time is something that Luke points out more than other gospel writers. Now, uh, some people think that like maybe one of the sources for Luke's gospel is Mary and mother of Jesus. And so maybe she's like giving a little more, you know, Give, filling in a little more info than the other dudes were watching, right? And like, so she's giving them some more context of what was going on with the women at the time. And Matthew, Mark, and John uh, weren't picking up on it because, you know, sometimes us guys are a little dense, but that's all right. Um, <laughs> so, but Luke is an interesting gospel because he, remember, is more kind of gathering the stories and, and interviewing people to create this work to help his friend believe that in Jesus as Messiah, to see how Jesus is proven as the one they've been waiting for. And so he's interviewing and talking to different people. Um, and, and so we see this role of women in this gospel of Luke. And I think it's kind of just important for us to recognize that women have served in leadership and ministry roles in the Bible, maybe more than you likely realize. So even briefly, just to point out some, Miriam, who was a prophet and worship leader for Israel. Deborah, who was a prophet and judge over Israel. So she actually had um, kind of like spiritual leadership as well as um, kind of like civic leadership uh, towards the people of God. Uh, Huldah was a prophet who prophesied before the high priest and the men of King Josiah to give instructions to the king of what they should do. Anna, is a, in Luke 2, is a prophet who served in the temple day and night. Uh, Priscilla of uh, Priscilla and Aquila took Apollos aside and taught him the word of God. There's Euodia and Syntyche who were co-workers with Paul. Phoebe is called a deacon in her church. And Junia is referred to as an apostle in the, in the book of Romans. And then another, it's like Philip had four daughters who were prophets as well. So there's just many stories of different women in different types of both spiritual leadership and then even kind of civic governmental type leadership within the Bible. And so just briefly there, just for us to kind of like join in a little bit with what Luke is doing to highlight and see the role of women. And so Luke says, these women have given of their money and then also of their time. They're following Jesus around. Now, why in the world then did they give? Why did they do this? They did this because Jesus radically changed their lives. And so their response to their changed life is both to follow and serve physically and then also to contribute of their resources, right? That's their response to their life being changed. This is the, this is the crux here for us today. How has your life been changed by Jesus? And how are you responding to that work he has done in you? We don't serve and give 
to get something. We serve and give because of who he is and how he has already changed us, okay? It's a response to the gospel. It is not how we are saved, it's what we do because we are saved, is why we serve and give to our God. Now, these, you know, it says these women are cured of evil spirits and diseases, so they've been big time changed, and they're joining in then on this mission. I think it's interesting how this comes, as I mentioned before, after the passage we did last week, okay, where you have this sinful woman, it says, who comes in and interrupts this dinner of a bunch of men, and she comes in and anoints Jesus, worshiping him, expressing her love for him. And then in Luke 7, 49, it says, the men at the table wondered how Jesus could forgive sins. And then Jesus speaks directly to the woman and says, your faith has saved you. Faith like this. Your faith has saved you. Then Luke, immediately after that, he shows how women are supporting the cause. Right after that, he says, look, there was a bunch of men at the table that actually had probably a lot of influence and means. These are important religious leaders. He doesn't then go on to say, and these important religious leaders then supported and followed Jesus around. No, it was these women whose lives were radically changed that followed Jesus and contributed towards what he did. These women were invested. And so therefore, they invested both their time and money into the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus is king. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which means this is, I'm him, I'm the king, and I'm here. And he's preaching that around. And so as our lives are changed by Jesus, we should also be invested. And so I want you to think even about, kind of like you look around the room, right? Who are the women here at Calvary Church that have impacted you? That would be on some list, right? And remember, Jesus said three names. <laughs> Maybe he had you know, this many people following him around, and he said three names and many others. And so I was thinking about some, some names, which is always dangerous, but I was thinking about some names. Think about Linda Duffy, who served for so many years serving our young people. So faithfully, like beyond when her kids moved out of the group. It's so cool. It just like impacts me. So cool. Like her kids out of, out of the ministry for herself, but serving middle schoolers and high schoolers so faithfully. So cool. I think of Barbara Whiteman, amazing servant of children and a professional clown and also a clown at heart. And it makes me so happy. <laughs> and uh, it's so cool just serving God uh, through serving our kids so faithfully. I think of Barbara Spiker, who makes Operation Christmas Child happen every year here at our church, that we have a special packing that goes towards like hard to reach countries. And she like leads this whole thing and makes this whole thing happen. And at the same time, wrote a Christmas musical herself, all the music and everything. It's like radical, it's amazing. And so you think of these women who do these amazing things that are part of our church. I think of Jesse Brown who started Uniquely Knitted and cares for hurting people every day. I think of Raina Bowman who read the Bible today. Gosh, I didn't know I was gonna do all this like crying. <laughs> but she just serves like people that are in a hard place so faithfully every single day. And it's like 
Even when she was in a hard place, she kept serving people in a hard place and we're so grateful for her. Karen Bergstrom, she is a developer of leaders. She, she helps raise up leaders that impact our world in awesome ways and in our church and runs safe families for children. Awesome. I think of Carolyn Kavechi. I think of Carolyn Kavechi as a prayer warrior. A lot of you might think of her as the mayor of Orange, but I think of Carolyn Kavechi as a prayer warrior who impacts our community through her presence in these places of community leadership and political involvement. Amazing. I think of Robin Geis, a leader and prayer warrior in our church who changes lives every day through what she does as a, as a therapist, as a clinical psychologist, who has given us so much wisdom as a church in the way we do that and to do that stuff well through our lay biblical counseling. I think of Nina Seidman, another prayer warrior, so many prayer warriors. And then I think of Michelle Gustafson, who I will maybe even say is the foremost evangelist in our church. Incredible woman. <laughs> and we love many others, okay? I'm sorry, many others. So many, 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 many others. So many others. But may we recognize these amazing people who are leaders in our church and help contribute towards the mission of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom. So we say thank you to all of you who are women here that serve, and may we all respond to the way Jesus has changed our life. Because Jesus redefines who's part of his kingdom. You didn't just, you don't only have wisdom for spinning yarn, ladies, thank God, okay? You have so much more, and we're so grateful for you. And Jesus says, look, the tax collectors who you hate, the zealots who you think are a little too much, and the women who you think don't have any wisdom, all of them have a place and a role in the kingdom of God. So may our minds maybe be shifted and changed of who we believe can impact the kingdom. Because the mission of Jesus requires the support of all of God's people. We all have to join in, both with our time and our physical presence, as well as our resources that God has given us. And I want us to remember that. Jesus going around, touring the region. He's not making any money. He's not doing his stonemason work or whatever he was doing anymore. He needs some backing to be able to be completely focused on the work of ministry during that time. And so these people help him to be able to do that. And he needs that support to do that. Does God need our money? No. He could do whatever he wanted, but he desires us to be involved in that way, right? He desires us to have a, a role in this, and then it helps us actually in so many ways to be able to do that. It helps us to have a proper understanding of, of provision and control and who is God and who is not, and it meets our own needs as we give it. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 8. I wanna, if you wanna turn there, you can. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 is a pretty amazing passage of Scripture because I want us to think about this. You know, I, wrote, I wrote about this uh, this last week as well in my email, but like some of us might look at other people who we think have more money than us and think, isn't sort of it up to them? I don't really matter in this, right? And, and 
I'll, I'll be real, like I can think about that. I'm a lifelong pastor, married to a Christian school teacher. It's not like the, the huge money-making venture that you might uh, think it is. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but like I can kind of like think less over time. And obviously, especially when I was younger, even especially to think like, I don't, I don't have much, I really don't. And many of us feel like we really don't. But I want us to like think about this in a, in a different way to open our minds to this. Second Corinthians 8, 1, it says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they're very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. So he's writing to these people in Corinth who are actually pretty well off. And he's talking about people in Macedonia who aren't, who are poor and have gone through some form of hard times. And he says, these people actually are filled with joy and are, and are filled with also with generosity. That doesn't mean necessarily the number that they are giving is higher. That means their hearts are, are giving generously, right? Verse three, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. Now, I also don't want you to feel like I'm starting to guilt you into giving more than like is like what you should to be able to like still pay your bills and stuff like that. Like, you know, you need to give what God has called you. I don't want, I, I get like grossed out by pastors that are like, you know, give beyond your means or give beyond what is like, I don't know, unwise or something like that. Sometimes we need to do that, but also we need to give generously is the key. Okay, they did it of their own free will. Sorry, verse four. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we'd hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. So the first thing is they gave themselves, right? We give like who we are, how God has shaped us, how God has made us and we give our time and we give our presence and then we also then out of that give our resources. That's what's going on with these women in Luke 8, one through three as well. They first maybe gave themselves, they're seeing how Jesus has changed them, and then they start to contribute to it. All right, uh, verse six. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. So he's like, hey, giving's just as important as preaching and speaking and serving in all these different ways. I want you to be able to excel in this. Uh, and then it says, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. I could keep going. I think I even read a couple more than I was supposed to, but it's just good. But it's so important for us to recognize that it's not about the number. It's about our involvement in the work of the mission, right? The work of Jesus. So we get involved with our time, with our presence, and with our resources. And what's kind of fascinating about this passage of Luke 8 is that it's not hidden where the money came from. Now we know that like 
Most of the time, it's, you know, our giving should be in secret so that we're not doing it like to be like, oh, look what I brought. I'm so great. I, I'm giving all this money, right? Uh, and so we're supposed to give in that way. But in this passage, it names people, right? It's like these three people gave. Now, what I think is really interesting about it is that I think Mary from a small town struggling with these seven demons, whatever, I don't think she was some rich person necessarily. And then Joanna is likely very rich, part of like the, running one of the like most rich households in the entire air, the entire region of the world. And both Mary and Joanna are named, even though Mary likely gave far less, both are named, both are important, both are valued. And so we see that, that Jesus is then, or God is showing us that all of it matters. And even the naming of women here is those that supported him. It's like, they say that this is likely like one of the things that even helps like support the, the truth, the veracity of the scriptures is because normally that wouldn't be something uh, where that would be uh, believed even. That these women, even as the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection, it's like not how you want to set up your deal if you're making it up. It's how to basically make it look weak. So it actually is a sign that it is very, very, very true. Very true. So it's for us to respond. It's for us to consider. And this is just the next passage, okay, in Luke. This is just the next thing I'm, you know, we're, we're hitting on. I'm not trying to do a big giving sermon today. I'm trying to do a sermon that has you consider how your life has been changed by God and how do you respond to it? What will you do? Will you be a prayer warrior? Will you serve our kids? Will you be a clown for Jesus? <laughs> will you share your faith? Will you contribute of your resources? Ask God, Lord, what would you have me do? How could I respond to this? How could I use what you have given me to further your kingdom? It's for you to pray about and to process that with the Lord. But what I would ask you, will you actually do that? Will you respond to him as king and submit to what he would have you do? To read his word and to spend time in prayer to listen to his voice of how you should respond. The only thing that isn't okay is to not respond. Okay? Let's respond to our holy God. Let me pray for that. Lord, in a, a world that vies for our affections, our attention, our money, our time, that tries to draw us away from you with those things, I pray, Lord, that as we serve you, as we follow you and as we contribute from what you've given us, may that be worship, God. May that be a response to you in the same way as we sing because you've changed our lives. We love you, God. May how we live then be that same response of worship, God, each day. And so, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to each one here today, both men and women, of how we can be people who serve you and give towards furthering your kingdom work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, as we respond in worship through singing, what we're going to do today, actually, 
is I want to have you stand and face the center of the room. If you can say, we can bring the house lights up a little bit too. It'd be great. Um, just, come on, you can do it. Let's go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's stand. We're going to sing the blessing, the song of the blessing. It speaks in Ephesians that we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that we sing to one another, actually, sometimes. We don't do it all the time. We do it sometimes. And this song is the perfect song for it. That we speak these words of the blessing of God, that this is God's heart for you. And may your response to this start with giving away blessing. Giving away blessings. I want to bless my brothers and sisters that are part of this church. So let's sing this song. Look across. Look towards the center of the room and face one another. Make eye contact. Let it be weird. It's all good, okay? Uh, and sing this song to one another with the love of God in your heart. <laughs>